Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye. And Mayu is not joining us today in today's preamble. Once again, we decided to film this preamble last minute and last minute things do come up. So you're just going to have to deal with me for the next two or three minutes. But don't worry, I'll keep this short. Um, Just to give you guys an update on what's going on in the real estate world for myself, the flip project that I, I know I constantly talk about on this podcast is finally wrapping up. We finished the staging and we spent about $6,000 in staging it. The reason being is because the the actual square footage of the main living area of the house is humongous. I would say easily over 1,000, 1,200 square feet. So a lot of people can visualize what they're going to do with that space. So staging actually goes a very long way, especially when we're talking about um, flipping a property, right? Like you want to target people's emotional needs. And some people, when they walk into property, they would imagine, oh, I can't wait for our kids to do X, Y, Z in this space or for us to enjoy ABC space because you have the furniture out there. And now they're just kind of visualizing in their head how they're going to enjoy the space with their family. So touching on the emotions, that's a key point in getting the highest value in the property. And we went for um, targeting what's in trend in design in the design world. I'm not a very design savvy person. So Will and Miguel, uh, my partner on this flip, has been handling that pretty much. And he follows HGTV, like all of these other designers, reads like Architect Digest and, and all of these other magazines. So he's pretty in the loop with what's trendy and what's not. So that we we took inspiration from all of the modern design and, and put that together when when creating our flip product. Very proud of the final product that we do have. We also are working on getting an, an appraisal just in case you want to decide to refi it and keep it as an Airbnb, but at least we have options. Um, our private money is actually expiring at the end of this year, so it's a great time to list, hopefully get rid of the property and have someone close within 30 or 45 days, but we'll see. I'll give you guys an update on that. In terms of uh, my 8plex renovation, which again is partnered with Waylon, um, we're going ahead and gutting uh, some of the units. We didn't plan to gut the units. Um, we just found that underneath the existing flooring were three other floors, followed by the subfloor, which is all rotted and molded out. So unfortunate, obviously, that's going to add like a couple thousand dollars to our renovation budget. You just got to expect these things in real estate at this point. When I heard about it, I didn't panic or anything like that. I feel like I'm just very used to it for better or for worse. But that's the world of real estate investing. Even a home inspector can't catch everything. When you start tearing things down, breaking things down, um, you're able to really see what's <laughs> what the house is built out of and and if the house has been neglected or not, which in this case, obviously, this house has been neglected. Um, there are a lot of things that we didn't budget for when we started tearing walls down. We found that, okay, we need to end up replacing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, my week has been pretty hectic, a lot of fires to be putting out, um, but also exciting because we're wrapping up the flip project. Nonetheless, we're going to get into today's episode because I could keep on going on and on about my week, but I'm sure you guys don't want to hear me, hear me bitch. Um, so we'll jump into today's episode. 
In today's podcast, we have Myron, and Myron is a member of the Rise Network community, and he also hosts our monthly Q&A, where he interviews an expert in real estate investing and answers any questions that our audience might have, and he has on a specific topic. This Monday, we have Waylon McGill going on the live Q&A, so make sure to register and check it out on our Facebook page if you haven't already. But nonetheless, we have Myron in today's episode. He's a phenomenal investor, another young investor, got started off only two to three years ago. And he's grown a portfolio of, I believe, what's now 20 units. Um, and his portfolio is comprised of properties in both Windsor and Sudbury. And the best thing about it is, is that he had less than $30,000 saved when he got started in investing, but was still able to scale his portfolio at such a rapid pace by taking advantage of creative financing strategies, which we get all into uh, about in this topic. So how do you have limited capital but are still able to scale your portfolio? If you ever had that question, you do not want to miss this episode out. Make sure to tune in. Hope you guys enjoy it. We are joined with our very special guest, Myron. Myron, how's everything going, man? I'm doing well. How's it going with you guys? It's doing good, good man. It's doing a long good. time in the making. Like we've been, we bothered this guy for how many months to jump on? He did, he just turned us down. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's being uh, he's being super humble. He's like, oh, I gotta achieve something first. And now everyone that's listening today will, will go, what the fuck? <laughs> you could have been on way long ago. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, I'll, I'll quickly just say that My- Myron's part of the Rise Network team. He's uh, he's a moderator in the Facebook group. He also runs our Facebook Lives that um, happen generally once a month, where he interviews different people that are essentially part of the real estate transaction process, right? So anyone from lawyers, appraisers, um, brokers, a, a whole different like amount of like number of people. So, Myron, why don't you introduce yourself a lot better than what I just did there? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Myron. Uh, born in Canada. I've uh, been living just north of Toronto in the city of Vaughan, um, basically all my life. Um, real estate was always something that I've always wanted to get into. Um, I loved looking at real estate growing up, but I never really understood the fundamentals. Uh, I was raised by you know typical middle class family. Uh, my parents came to Canada in the 1980s to provide myself and my siblings a better lifestyle. And yeah, as I got older, of course, education was a big part of being born in a middle-class family because they're trying to give you the lifestyle that they weren't, they didn't have the luxury to have when they grew up, right? So that was essentially how the mindset that I had. And once you got into university, it was more of, you know, you need to try building a good lifestyle. But once you get that first paycheck, you realize that it doesn't really correlate to those, the lifestyle that you want to have. And that's essentially how I transitioned into um, real estate uh, investing. I started in 2019. Um, and on the side, my full-time job is working at a global commercial real estate advisory company. So that's pretty sum, summed up like what I do on a high level. So, so wait, how old are you right now? Uh, I'm 26. 26. So 2019, you would have been, what is that? 24. 20, 24. Okay. So you, awesome. When did you buy your first property? I bought it like 23, late okay, 23. Okay, okay awesome. Yeah. Awesome. You said I got, I got to specify, you know, because I can't let Myron outperform me right now. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, most people don't realize right away, right? Like you, 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 cause you said there that like you get your first paycheck, you realize that you want to leave your day job or, or that it's not really what's going to make you wealthy in the long run, right? I don't think most people realize right away. I think they kind of climb a corporate ladder for at least a couple of years or they aspire to climb a corporate ladder. So what was it that kind of pushed you towards real estate? So the first thing was, don't get me wrong. Like when I got my first paycheck, you know, the mindset you have is that you want to blow your money. Uh, You know, you work so hard. 
you feel like you had a, you, you just achieved a big milestone graduating from university or college. So I started working uh, and then it came to a point where I wanted to buy an investment property. And the first thing you see is the condominium, right? Like that's like the mindset that everyone has, the pre-construction condominium. And it was the one in Vaughn and by the TTC, uh, Vaughn Metropolitan Center. They just, I think they only extended it late in 2017. And it was a two bedroom, two bathroom condo for 585,000 with parking included. Um, back then it was a lot of money, but looking now, like it's definitely a sweet deal, but it was a 20% down payment that required about 110, I think 120,000 um, with everything included. And my mindset then was like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to save $2,000 a month. And that's what I have. That's basically how I'm going to get started. And this is like no education in terms of how real estate investing, um, the fundamentals of real estate investing or following anyone on social media. So I actually went on a 10 day, I actually put my deposit down and you have a 10 day cooling period. And on the ninth day, uh, my dad, my sister, we talked about it and they just think that it was too much I'm giving up on for a project like this. That means like no traveling, not having a good time, saving $2,000 a month. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm never going to be able to buy real estate. And I was going to buy um, like a coupe. I was looking at the Alexis RC350. You can't get a house, so you get a car. <laughs> I was like, that was a mindset. I'm like, you know what? Like, that's it. I'm, I'm done. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to buy real estate. Like, you, the only way you're going to get it is if your parents are rich and they're going to give you money. So I literally went to see the car and it was like 34,000. I'm like, you know what? I have 34,000. I'm just going to do it. But after the conversation I had with my parents, they're like, you know what? We'd rather have you do uh, buy real estate, but we can lend you money as long as you pay it back, right? And then I was like, okay, so this is another opportunity. So for me, I need to buy something under market value. So that's when I went on the map. And back then in 2019, the golden city was Windsor. Like you look at the purchase price and it kind of rings a bell. And that's what kind of led me there. Um, that was what I was pre-approved for. And that's how I got started. So if you want, I can break down my first property if that's how you guys want me to get started. Before we break down that first property, okay. uh, what I'm curious is, so you were a commercial appraiser during all of this time as well, right? And you were still looking at things like condominiums as an investment. So when I got started, I just started working for, for an appraisal company. So before that, uh, I was on, I was working in the commercial real estate industry on uh, something called the Global Occupier Services. And then I really wanted to get into evaluation. So when I got there, I was actually doing appraisals then, but when you're doing the appraisal appraisals on properties, well, I do commercials specifically. So a lot of them are within the 10 million, the hundred million range. Cause we do a lot of big portfolios. So mm. the mindset was only the rich can do it. Right. Okay. So that actually kind of supplied that mindset of like, you can't get into it. Just looking at right. these valuations. Gotcha. The rich can do it. Um, we didn't really do a lot of the, the multifamily on a, on a smaller scale, like a five, six unit building. It was always like a hundred unit multifamily building, like a portfolio across Canada. So that's where, that's basically our clientele for our company. So that's why my mindset was like, you know what, this is something that I'm not going to be able to achieve. But when I had the opportunity to borrow money with the money that I've already had saved, I was like, you know what, this is my foot through the door. Like, let me just take the risk and let me do it and I'll figure it out. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So you found your way into Windsor. Um, did you go on the MLS off market? Yeah, let's let's talk through exactly the details of the first deal because I always find that's the most interesting because that's where people tend to make the most mistakes and oversee a lot of things and there's a lot of learning lessons from there. Of course. So um, I've never been to Windsor before then. I think I've only went there when I was trying to get to Detroit, but we never really stopped in the city. So I went online. Number one thing I did was 
basic appraisal thing is economic foundation. Like what is the population? What are the demographics, the university? And a lot of this was showing strong fundamentals. So I was like, you know what, with the appreciation from 2016 to 2018, um, it was quite good. In 2019, from what I remembered, it started increasing. Like there was a significant growth in 2019 before the significant boom. So in 2019, I already thought it was too late. But in 2020, I was like, you know what? I definitely got in at a, at a good time before the peak. Um, so so you, got went, in, you got in at the end of 2019, right? October okay. 2019. I remember everyone thought the market was just like, didn't make sense. <laughs> and it just starts to more and more as we go on. It's like, it makes less sense. It makes less sense, but it's just still heating up. Right. Yeah. And, and that's how it was. So I went and then every property um, I went to, you know, back then when open house was a, like a major thing. And now it's that just starting to get back to normal. Um, I went to every hoping now. So what I did was like, I took, uh, I went to any prices that were range from 199 to 350, but 300,000 was what I was um, able to afford, but I just wanted to see what people were willing to pay. So somebody who was in the 199, what they were willing to pay and somebody in the 300, like, what are they willing to pay for the quality of houses? But, you know, you get to Windsor and you see things are listed at 199, but they don't really sell at 199. They're selling the low 300, right? Or the high 200. So I was like, you know what? I do not want to pay market value for something because for me, the rule was I had about $10,000 to save, um, saved up and I had a $40,000 line of credit that I initially applied for when I wanted to get that condominium. So I still had that available. Um, my parents were like, we'll give you 40,000. And it was basically, they were going to provide it to me as a gift to close on the property. And uh, I was going to close on it and then use my line of credit to pay them back after closing. Because at then I didn't really, any, I didn't really understand about private money, how to close on a property. This was my first thing, like no, um, no guidance at all. Um, other than of course my dad. So there was a property listed in South Walkerville by the hospital, um, listed at two ninety nine. It's been on the market for maybe a month and a half. And the reason why it was on the market was essentially because it was listed at asking price. And the seller was from Vancouver. So he didn't really understand the fundamentals in terms of the price mechanism. So I spoke with the listing agent and I didn't have a real estate agent myself because I didn't want to be tied down to one agent that I had no relationship with. And the listing agent of that property is the one that I use in Windsor now because we were able to build a good relationship. And he was like, yeah, like he advises clients saying that it should be listed at, you know, 249, 199, but he didn't list it and now stuck at 299. But the notion in the market is as the property is on the market for weeks and it doesn't go through offer presentation, they're just like a vibe saying that there's something wrong with the property. So it didn't really get a lot of attention. I came in um, that week. I checked out the property. They were going to reduce the listing price to 249. And before they did that, I went and negotiated down to like 257,500. And that's how I did it. So I closed on the property 20% down. Um, I was trying to do, yeah, 20% down. And then I used my line of credit to pay my parents off. And that's when I was like, you know what? Private money, like if I can do this on a bigger scale, this is something that um, I could significantly grow. And that property was appraised at 300,000 um, a couple of months later, but COVID hit. I applied in February, but it was only appraised in June because a lot of the banks in March kind of shut down. So everything was so slow. So it was basically COVID appraisal because they were using comparables in May and April. So as they appraised it, I think 300 or 301,000 and I got all my money back. And it was basically- You didn't do any renovations on that house? Uh, no, just minor stuff, maybe like putting a doorknob and stuff. Um, I put a was, new it, was it a single family or a duplex? 
Ningbo family home, all brick, um, okay. turnkey. And, and this is in the student rental area, if I'm not mistaken, Curry, right? No, he's uh, in no. South Walkerville. South oh, Walker- sorry, oh. South Walkerville. You had another one in Curry. Yeah, I got that okay. last November, but this one's South Walkerville by the hospital. And um, I and I started without having good tenants. Like I chose the tenant that paid the most, that would wanted to pay the most amount of money, which was two thousand. Even though the market was eighteen hundred, I was like, damn, like two thousand dollars. My mortgage was about like seven hundred bucks. Um, and I'm like, this is serious cash flow. <laughs> and the tenant stopped paying once COVID hit. Even the month before, they stopped paying, and I didn't really know how to screen tenants. And I essentially lost. Um, actually broke even, even though they paid. I think four of the eight months that they were there, the additional thousand dollars that I was making kind of covered the lost a month of rent that I didn't receive. But I definitely learned a lot. They were selling drugs out of my house. Um, from what I knew, when COVID hit, you couldn't even visit the property. And she kind of threatened me that you know if you come, like you're not allowed. Um, she said she worked at the hospital. She didn't even work at the hospital. She forged everything. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely, um, you know, it was definitely a learning process. But since then, um, I've never had a tenant that not pay rent. So it was definitely a good learning experience. I think that's a big point there, right? Like despite investing in a good area, tenant screening is still important just because you're in in South Walkerville is considered an A area in winter, just because you're in an A area doesn't give you an excuse not to screen. I know this was your first property and likewise, I've had experiences where I didn't screen too much, right? Um, but yeah, like, and, and it's not always about collecting the highest rental income, like as you said, it's right. okay to forego some rental income as long as you know you're steadily going to get paid by your tenant. So that's a pretty key takeaway there. And I have to learn the hard way. So that's basically how, and once I refinance my property, that's when I kind of learned, okay, like this is something I want to do uh, because I was making, once I re-rented it for 1800 bucks, I was still making uh, about $500 a month after the refinance uh, to the new mortgage. So that's when I kind of went all in. And that's when I started educating myself on like real estate, the fundamentals and joining different mentorship groups. And I spent about, I think $8,000 just in education uh, during uh, prime COVID. So in April, May, and even June. Awesome. Okay, so that's pretty interesting. Cause I, I didn't realize that, that. So June of 2020, you were sitting with one single family house, right? One single family house. And how many units are you at today? <laughs> uh, I, I'm at 20 units. Um, as of, yeah, I started scaling as of October, 2020. Uh, and since October, uh, 2020, I bought uh, 20 units. So let, let's talk about that. Cause you still didn't have a lot of capital. You refied your yeah. money and you had to pay down your line of credit. Right? right. And then you had a bit of cash left over. Um, so let's talk about how you were able to scale that aggressively doing it pretty much yourself. Yeah. So no JV partners. And it, it started with, um, I gotta give a big shout out to Key Spires. Um, they had a workshop in February, 2020. Um, my VP at work, he recommended, uh, he went to Guelph and it's called McGillivray and, uh, Michael Serencini, they also went to Guelph back in the day. So he recommended me to go to it. And Darren Burrell was the presenter and, you know, he's very articulate, very enthusiastic. And he showed some of his projects and going to that first real estate event. That's when I was, I saw the audience and I'm like, there's so many people who want to invest in real estate. Like this is incredible. And I joined the workshop through the three-day workshop. It was supposed to be in person, but of course, COVID hit. It was online. And that's when they were talking about OPM, private money, vendor takebacks. And I thought vendor takebacks, I see that work, but you're looking at million-dollar deals, um, billion-dollar real estate deals. So you always think that it has to be on a larger scale. You never think like a random seller is going to give you a vendor takeback, right? So, and then I came across Investor Mel and Dave. They solely do uh, OPM, private uh, private money, and vendor takeback. 
So I was like, you know what? If I don't have the capital, this is the way I have to go. But you have to buy the right asset in order for you to leverage it to pay your private money partners. So last summer in July, I started putting offers out there. I had no money, but I was like, you know what? If the number makes sense, I'm just going to buy it. And I literally had maybe like a couple of grand in my bank account just through my own savings. And that's it. And on top of the, the line of credit that I got back from you know, refinancing my property. So I, I remember my first offer was a triplex in Sudbury. Oh, before I get into Sudbury, uh, the winter market started scaling and I didn't really know anyone else who was investing in other cities. So what I did last summer, I didn't have a car. Um, my parents dropped me off at the airport every weekend. I took the car and I went to Midland, um, North Bay, Sudbury. And I just went, I just went by myself and I just went to bars, restaurants and just sat there, talked to local people in the neighborhood, um, went to um, listings, off-market deals that were posted on Kijiji. Um, whatever it took, I just went just to understand the market with the kind of tenant quality. And I didn't really have any idea because Sudbury back then didn't really have the online presence that it did right now. So I had to go and find those people. So once I felt connected with Sudbury, I chose Sudbury at the market. And I remember my first offer on a triplex and I just did it. I was like, you know what? Financing condition, I'm just going to do it and I'll figure it out. Of course, the numbers didn't make sense. And I couldn't even sleep that night. It was like, there was so much pressure because you're buying something, you're committing to something that you don't have the money for. But my mindset was, I will just figure it out. We've had um, that before as well. Yeah. Just figure it out. <laughs> I still <laughs> sometimes have that. Well. So yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's still pretty nerve-wracking where it's like, but yeah, anyways, continue. I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, no, no. It's all good. And that's essentially how I got started. So I backed out of that deal because I did my numbers and it didn't make sense. The listing agent is um, trying to convince that you can get like a 550,000 ARB. Um, you can get like 2,500 on a two-bedroom unit, but you got to- For a triplex? For a triplex. So Even a then. single family house, two-bedroom unit, 2,500? Exactly. That's like <laughs> Toronto <laughs> prices. You know? exactly. and, they were tr- and he was trying to convince me. So um, I guess for me, it's something the, um, I do full-time, like you kind of understand the rents, like you're not as gullible. But for a new investor, you just got to make sure that dealing with a listing agent is not always the best option um, because you can go to any market in Ontario. You can give any agent a call and you ask them, should you invest in the city? They're going to be like, yeah, the, the city is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like this is the best city, right? But they're never going to give you the ins and out of the city, like the tenant quality. So you always have to do your due diligence. And I backed out of this and I was like, you know what? Let me go try finding private money. Um Talking about real estate, especially in our community, isn't the biggest thing. Like you go to your event, you don't try, like, why are you talking about real estate? Like, why are you talking about money? Like, that's like the notion that a lot of people are trying to put you put on you. Um, for me, I didn't really have that. Like every time I went to like events with family, friends, um, anyone in my network, colleagues, like I just told people I just want to buy real estate. Like I had the mindset, I had the the energy, like I would do the work, but I want to borrow it as private money, not as a JV. And that's just something I wanted to do first. If it didn't work out, I would 100% would have done a JV, but I was able to find capital. And I think at that time, I found about $200,000 of capital if I had the right deal. And that's when I found a fiveplex in Sudbury. And I could have started with a duplex, triplex, fourplex. I was like, you know what? I'm going straight to a fiveplex. And that's how I understood um, clauses that you have to put. And I literally just figured it out. I had no coach other than the mentorship groups I was part of, but in terms of the guidance on the way, it was like, okay, like there's a unit that's going to be vacant. Like what condition am I going to put? 
the conditions like, okay, like the seller is required to keep the unit vacant upon closing, right? Um, those were things that I just figured out myself. Um, so it was a five unit building, all brick, corner lot, three frontages, uh, but it was kind of unique because one half of the building was like a semi-detached. So a three bedroom unit, two floors, um, two washrooms, and then the other three units were on one half of the building. And then the basement was uh, a fifth unit, but on a zoning, it's a legal four unit building. So the highest and best use of the asset is four units. So in some reason, R2-3. So one of the units are not legal. So I bought it for 540,000. It was listed at 570. I was the registered second offer on the property because I realized uh, based on conversations I've had with the listing agent, the first offer was more than 600,000. I ran the numbers on it and it didn't really make any sense. So I knew that, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and add asking price of 570. And then I'm going to negotiate it down further once it comes to me. Cause I was like, no way this guy is going to get approved for financing. Um, Pause there. That's a very, like, I think that's a key comment that I do want to touch on is just lock it up, get your inspector, get people in there. And right. once someone's committed with you, if they committed a week long process with you, they're probably going to cooperate with you just to get the deal done for you to waive yeah. the condition. It's, a, Sorry, it's essentially. Wanted- it's always easier to like when someone has something that's like basically in their head, like done, right. It, they don't want to let it go. But then if you go right at them with the 540, they probably would have been like, fuck off. Right. But now when you go at them with 570 and they're like, shit, I don't want to lose this guy. <laughs> like it's, it makes life easy. They're willing to negotiate down with you. Right. Exactly. So. Just imagine the reputation going back as, Oh, the person backed out of the deal. So the yeah. next person in line is going to be like, no, nah, I don't want it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something that came up in this inspection report. So, Sorry. So I someone, that was an important point. So, so someone backed out of the deal before you went into it. Right. Is that right? Mayurin? Um, no. So the offer was initially more than 600,000. Um, and then I went in at 570. So I was a registered backup offer, meaning that if the first offer does not go through it yeah. automatically, I get it under contract. Um, so I knew the seller, um, wanted to move. He had another property closing in October. So this was mid August when it came to me. So I'm like, you know what? He has to sell the property because he needs the money to close on the next property. So kind of use that as, you know, um, kind of bluffing, like waiting the I'm waiting it out and negotiating it down to 540 because I wanted one of the units vacant. I wish I forced one of the units to get vacant, but I didn't at the time. Um, But I bumped it down to 540. Um, But a week before closing, I got a call from the listing agent and he was like, you got some good news and some bad news. And he's like, the good news is that you got a unit vacant on closing. So I got two units vacant on closing, the one that seller was living in and another one. But bad news is that somebody passed away, hence why it's vacant. And I was like, okay, like from an investment perspective, obviously he was paying 430 bucks a month and I could triple the rent. So I rented that for like 1,050 uh, plus hydro, it's electric heating. But of course you don't wish that upon anyone. So that was basically how I started my real estate investment journey with that fiveplex. And at the same time, there was another closing as well, a touch base on that. But I just wanted to touch base on the purpose of, of this acquisition was to legally convert it to a five unit building. So but right the zoning now, doesn't allow for it, right? So you're going to okay, get into that. So when you're doing a commercial appraisal on this property, you're not going to be, um, you're not going to get the highest and best use of the five unit building. So right now I am in the process of doing a rezoning. Um, the court date is in the end of, end of October. And I've got one of the units vacant in terms of using um, the building permits and the rezoning of the illegal unit. I use that as leverage to get that tenant out. I had to go to the uh, landlord tenant board and I had to pay them six months cash for keys uh, for six months of rent of the current rent that they're paying. They're currently paying 950 all inclusive. 
And I can probably rent that for about 1400 plus hydros because it's a unit that also has a built-in garage. So it is definitely a bit more exclusive compared to a normal one bedroom unit. Hold up, hold up. I don't know if I missed something there. Okay, so, so you're doing the rezoning. How do you, why did you end up at the LTB? Because I had to get the tenant out and he didn't want to leave. So, so you're doing I, it under the, um, the, the eviction for, for renovating or demolishing a unit or whatever that yeah. form's called, right? Right. And he didn't want to leave. So I was like, okay, I got to go to the legal grounds. Um, I had to take it to the landlord tenant board. I already had the building permit. So I had the documentation to support to during the mediation process and he was willing to leave. Um, so I had to pay 5,700, but one of the units on the upper floor, they're paying 830 and they wanted $50,000 cash for keys to leave. And, uh, I'm like, I'm right now, I'm just sitting on it. I'm trying to use Austin tech tactics to get them out. So we'll see how that goes. Hey man, maybe you got to decide to move in there for a bit. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. um, I can say that you can, but yeah. Um, so, okay. So, so that sounds dope, man. So you got, at that point, you're sitting at a single family house, uh, a fiveplex. And did you have a duplex at that point as well? Or Yeah. So during August, so the same time my winter agent reached out to me and said that, Hey, he has two duplexes, um, one in Curry Avenue and one near the hospital in South Windsor. Um, and I went, both of them have good bones, but required a lot of work. And I had both of them. We agreed verbally to 406,000, two duplexes for 406,000, um, all brick. And the Arab for the, the duplex that I had for 286,000 was like, with the appreciation was about 500,000. Uh, but I essentially got one of the duplexes. They wanted to live in one of them. And I got it for 140,000 um, with a tenant that was living in the building. Like they were selling drugs out of the property from what the seller told me. Uh, we couldn't get the seller out, but I was like, you know what? I can keep waiting, but this deal would provide me with the return to continue to scale, right? In terms of the risk that I was taking on for 140 for a duplex, if I got the tenant out and I re once the renovation were done and refinanced, like I would get a lot of capital that I could use to fund a lot of renovation. Um, so for I got it for 140,000, and the tenant didn't want to leave, so the seller couldn't get them out. So one day I went to Windsor and I just walked into the unit and I just treated them like a normal human being. Like they were smoking, like doing drugs and whatever. And I just walked around and I just acted as one of them. Like I don't do drugs or anything, but uh, I just like, want... you just picked up a line of Coke and started <laughs> it. <laughs> no, but I didn't want to make it seem like I treated them any less than who I was. Um, I treated them like a normal human being. And literally they left uh, two weeks after that. They called me two days later. They're like, you know what? They'll take $5,000. And ask them, you know, the seller was trying to give you the same amount. Like, what's the reason that, you know, you, like you wanted to leave when I requested it. He was like, well, the seller never really respected them for who they were. And for me, I just went in just with no expectations. Like I just explained to them that there was going to be a lot of work done on this property. And if either you sit through this and you have to deal with the difficulties, or I can, you know, give you some sort of financial, um, financial, you know, independence for $5,000 for them was like a lot of money uh, for them to move on and start a life on their own. Okay. That's pretty dumb, uh, man. That, that sounds like a home run deal. Right. And like, whenever that home run deal is like, like usually a home run deal has some sort of a problem associated with it. Right. And it's just, that's what we get rewarded for. Right. Dealing with someone else's headache. Um, cool, man. So that's dope. So at that point, I guess we're sitting near the end of 2020 last year, somewhere around there. Um, and you're at eight units. How do you then go to 20 units? Like what have you done or 20 plus units? How do you like, what right. is there? 
Oh, so, I'm sorry. At this point, have have most of the units been turned around, or you're still kind of working through them as you're actively acquiring? So the only duplex that I have stabilized right now is the one I have on Curry Avenue. So that was okay. about a hundred thousand dollars in renovation. So I bought it for one forty, put in about hundred thousand in renovation. I used private money for that as well because. I didn't have 28,000 in my account then because I just closed on a five unit building the month before. So uh, I, I bought it for 140. So I borrowed $200,000 of private capital um, through uh, one individual who funded the down payment and another buddy of mine who funded the renovation, 50% of like, uh, the renovation. So 50,000, I put another 50,000 um, all in 100,000. I got appraised for 389 um, and my new mortgage was 311. So I cashed out at $260,000. That was my new amount. And of that 260, um, 10,000 went to the interest payments and the holding costs and $250,000 was basically what I had sitting in my account. The 200,000 was of course private money. $50,000 of that was the extra capital that I made of tax-free money, the refinance. Mm-hmm. So I basically bought a property using that amount of money and made $50,000. And when I bought that to the partners that I used for to fund this deal, they were like, like you made, like you got a home run of a deal and they wanted me to recycle that amount um, for multiple projects. So quick question there, They're, your private lenders, are they balloon payments or yeah, are they like, exactly yeah, monthly ask. interest? <laughs> so when I got started, I had to convince them to give it to me. So I had to pay six months of interest payments in advance. Um, so for one of them, for my buddy, uh, I had to pay, uh, I think it was, $5,000 upfront cash, right? So technically I got out of the 50,000, I got $45,000. Um, the other one I had to pay uh, one year, sorry, six months interest in advance as well uh, for $150,000. So a lot of these I had to pay in advance because they were not, of course, in my first time, but I, the way I presented it to them was the market value of the property as is was 250. If I did not do any work to it. I could easily just go to the bank, get 80% loan to value. And my new mortgage is $200,000, which is why I only borrowed $200,000 and not more than that, because it was just a no brainer. And it was a hundred percent return on my investment. If I borrowed more than $200,000, a bit more of a risk because if you know the market took a dip or I didn't want to do any work to it, uh, it would be money coming out of my own pocket. But that's why I did not want to borrow more than $200,000. So I refinanced that, got 260000 in uh, May 2021. That's when I got my money back. And then I sold my Windsor property that I got in 2019. I sold it off market. Um, I had a really amazing tenants and I did not want to kick them out because I was only renting it for 380, uh, sorry, 1800. But if I were to sell it more than 380, as a buyer, they're not going to be able to maintain uh, the property with the rental income. Mm-hmm. So I decided to sell it for about twenty dollars to $25,000 in discount to keep the tenant. And I sold it and I made about $130,000 um, from that property. So I get a lot of people always ask, hey, like, you know, you could have sold it more. And I'm like, you know what? We're in it. Yes, we're as landlords, we're in, the, we're in the business of making money. But in the fact that if a tenant is willing to pay you rent always on time, they're able to take care of the property. And I forgot I owned that property. Like I always got the payment two weeks beforehand. The least you can do is, you know, have them be able to continue their lifestyle. Like for the, for that tenant, they had a kid who lived down the street. Um, and I asked them, you know, if we were to leave, like what's your living situation? And they're like, Hey, like, you know, she just got divorced. She would have had to find other financial means. So, um, that was the main reason why I just wanted to sell it. I sold it within three weeks uh, for 380,000 and I, and that capital is what I had on a lot of my real estate deals as well. So 
um, $200,000 in private money, $50,000 of the money that I made from the Curry property, as well as $130,000 of the profits I made. That's essentially how I just started banging out one deal at a time for renovation, um, acquisition, um, and so forth. So during that time, I was networking, networking with a lot of people. I bought a triplex off market. And then all I did was go to an agent that, um, that had a board online on the market. And I'm like, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, do you have anything for me? The property he was listing didn't really work. Two weeks later, he came back with me with a triplex for $400,000. Um, one unit vacant. It was purpose-built. If you go on my Instagram page, it's called the Oak Street. Uh, beautiful property. Uh, purpose-built, two driveways. And I got it down to 380. So I actually went physically because he didn't want to go down any lower than 400,000. Bought it down for by $20,000. You think about and, it, that, that one trip saved you 20 grand. Sorry, one trip, a yeah. couple hours, made you 20 grand. But do you know what? A lot of my friends were like, I can't believe you're renting a car and spending 200 bucks for gas and renting a car just to go to Sudbury for a day. And I'm like, well, you never know what might happen, right? It's always like, it's always an opportunity to go meet with the father and making that emotional connection and just letting them know why you need the amount. So I wanted 360, of course, but 380 was what they were firmed up on. And I was like, you know what? Let me negotiate on the terms. So I got vacant possession. Um, they cleared out all the junk. They cleared out all the appliances. They were all in bad shape. So those were the things that kind of saved me about a few hundred bucks as well as getting a vacant possession. So right now it's still under renovation because I had to extend the closing in May because um, the lender backed out a couple of days beforehand because the appraisal came in $70,000 below purchase price. Um, I got it appraised again for asking price. So like I said, on the residential side, it's a hit or miss. You need to do your own due diligence as a buyer. On the commercial side, it's all a numbers game. So very... The risk assessment is not too far. Um, it's not going to be a far range, right? So on the residential side, you need to be able to convince the the appraiser that um, hey, this is why the value is what it is, and that's and I was able to get 380. Um, the other property was a duplex that I actually got in December of 2020 from Austin. It was a wholesale deal, um, and Austin, like right now, there was actually water leaking into the basement now. So I'm twenty thousand dollars above my budget. Oh I, no. It just came out of nowhere apparently last week. So that should have been refinanced by now, uh, as of right now. So, so these are things that unfortunately as an investor, when you got so many properties on, um, on the go, like these are unexpected costs, but, um, so far I've been able to manage a lot of them. So that was the triplex and the duplex. And I'm like, you know what? I still have some money lying around. Let me still find more deals. Um, Earlier the year in 2021, I saw a wholesale deal, um, a single family with secondary unit, not a legal one, but can be converted to one, was on the market to be wholesale for 360, I believe. And I knew the deal fell through because I knew a lot of people were interested in it, but it was bad tenants, the buyer backed out, and I knew that it didn't go through. So what I did, I just reached out to the wholesaler a couple of months later. And I couldn't find the owner online. Like for me in the commercial real estate industry, we do have access to Geo Warehouse so we can see, uh, you know, we can pull the title to see who owns the asset, but I couldn't find who the owner was. Reached out to the wholesaler, paid them $5,000 just to get it under contract. Had it for three thirty, dollars and I got it. But what I did after getting it under contract, the wholesaler was out of the way. I renegotiated it for uh, $340 with a 10% BTB. So I only have to put 10% down and the property was appraised at $395,000. So I'm already $56,000 uh, below market value, but that's just me maximizing the $130,000 I had. I'm trying to maximize it 
uh, in terms of how many assets that I can buy. Because at the same time, I also wanted to buy a fiveplex for 450. And that was an off-market as well, a five-unit vacant turnkey fiveplex in Sudbury for 450000 And I was able to get That's it unreal. a 10% BTB. So with $100,000, I bought $900,000 worth value-wise of assets, right? But on a 20% down, you can only buy $500,000 of asset with a 20% down payment. So when people ask me like how I'm able to grow a lot, it's just maximizing the money you have into multiple properties you can, but it all comes down to negotiating the terms, the agreement, um, a vendor take back. Number one, when I got started in 2020, the summer, I was... I was trying to give vendor take back deals so many times, but I wasn't presenting it to the seller the right way. I was always presenting it in a way where they're doing me a favor, but I've realized that you always need to project it in terms of you're doing them a favor in terms of um, making passive income, deferred tax payments. They're not only the asset, but if I were to default on the payment, they still have right to the asset uh, based on the terms of the agreement. So those two were BTBs as well. And then right now I do have another 14 unit that I just got under contract yesterday. And I was able to negotiate another BTB of 12.7% of um, the acquisition price. So like I said, I don't have money, but I've been able to maximize the money that I have into multiple assets. But a lot of the repair value for these are going to be giving me a full burst. So I'll get all my money back. It's all about recycling them one asset at a time. So let me ask you this. I know we're almost out of time here. So let me ask you one quick question because I think um, you're growing your portfolio pretty fast. Um, right. But what are the pain points? Like not, not really what keeps you up at night. It's more so like, I think when you've got multiple renovations going, you've got multiple vacancies across the board, you've just got shit in like all different places and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And even like, just thinking about like money management, right? Like you got to watch the ins and outs and you got to ma- make sure your debt service and all that kind of stuff. What are your pain points and what are you doing to like overcome them? So right now, um, I've been able to budget a lot. So some of the properties, like the five-unit turnkey property, all I have to do is lease it and refine it. I just have some exterior work that I have to do. Um, but I'm closing it at a time where one renovation project is going to be done and it's going to close on to the next one. So like the, the 14 unit that I have right now is closing in February of 2022 uh, and the triplex is closing in 2021. Sorry, 2022 of January. So it's like a domino effect. Literally... That's the game, like how to buy multiple properties, but leveraging one to buy the other. Because for me, I don't want to finish a project and go back on the market or try to build my connection and find another property because that's going to delay you another 90 days. So just recycling the money one at a time, uh, building the right relationships. For me, I've never bought a property on the market since last uh, last October, right? Um, which is the five-plex. Everything else was always off-market. But I don't do door knocking. I don't do um, the mailing campaign, but just uh, building relationship with contractors. For me, my contractors, they're not really my employees or my partners, because if they do the work on time and I have the right relationship with them, it's going to allow me to scale. So I actually take them out for drinks, for food um, when I go to Sudbury um, and having that confidence in them. Because for me, I still work 40 hours a week, maybe more. Um, I do work commission-based, so it's a bit more flexible. Like we have the unlimited vacation same thing with the mortgage agent uh, you're working for yourself. So I do have that luxury, but it's letting people know that you can buy building that brand, but it comes down to a relationship game. And that's essentially what it is. Um, like there's no secret sauce. It's just taking action. Of course, you need to build the right system. Like right now I'm working with a team in Dallas, Texas for uh, an app 
uh, it's already a, a software system that already exists, but implementing my data into their data where it allows the tenant to pay through an application, um, the landlord to have their own app, any maintenance requests, like I want to outsource that into um, another individual. So just building the right system. And that's going to take time because you need to get your assets stabilized. But a lot of these assets are going to be stabilized in the next uh, 60 days. So right now I have, out of the 20 units that I have, 12 of the units are occupied. So the other eight units will be, um, hopefully the next, before the end of the year, I will, I will be finding tenants. You know what? Like what I've learned here is creativity, right? And I, and I think creativity is at the uh, core of your success as well. Because you like, as you mentioned, really, um, you're, you're getting these VTBs because you want to stretch your whatever, your 180, 200K that you have there. And you're willing to pay a bit more. It's still going to be under market value. You're not paying over market value. You're still paying under market value, but getting a VTB in return, right? Um, And obviously that means that less capital is put out there. So huge applause to you. That's something that I haven't played around with just yet. I haven't explored VTBs. Just out of curiosity here, um, how do your conversations typically go? Because usually when you speak with people with VTBs, they have a significant amount of equity in the property already. It's not someone who bought the property two or three years ago, right? Just as a sample, like if I had a property here, how would you kind of approach me with the BTB? Um, So I'll give you a quick example because it just happened a month ago. Uh, The one that I uh, had under 330 initially, just a 20% down, uh, 330,000, no condition as is. So I knew the seller wanted 360 initially. That was the initial wholesale deal that was out there. Um, But when I went in, I started, you know, understanding what the seller wanted. So it's all about understanding where the seller is coming from, why they're selling and adding a value to the transaction. So when she told me that she worked at a gym due to COVID, she lost a lot of money. So she needed to liquidate her asset. The tenants were even weren't paying her as well. So when I went in, I'm like, you know what? I understand that you are, um, you know, you wanted to sell more. You do need more money to fund a lot of the financial losses over the course of one year through COVID, but I would be willing to pay you $10,000 more for 340,000 if you were to hold back 10% of the mortgage in second position. But on top of that, you are going to be liquidating this asset and this is your second asset. And I'm going to offer you a six month uh, BTB term. So the remainder of the amount that is secured against the asset, you're only going to have to pay your taxes in 2022. So you're deferring your tax payment as well as during those six months, you will be um, earning 8% interest only payment. So on top of the 340,000, you are getting other, um, other incentives. So mm. over a getting more of, money and interest now over a course of a day or two, she was able to wrap her mind around it. And of course I told her, you know, I'll get my lawyers involved. It's all going to be done through legal proceedings. Um, and you have nothing to worry about. So you need to make sure when you project BTBs, because a lot of sellers don't really know what it is. Like when you say, hey, like can you secure a mortgage against the property? They're going to think that you're a scam, right? And you never want to come out as the first thing when you're negotiating a deal. You want to make sure that um, you understand where they're coming from and roll it into a conversation. Same thing with the 14 units. Um, they had 11 units on the market separately and had another three units. And I heard that they weren't taking any BTB offers. But what I did was I took both the triplex and the 11 unit, but on my condition, I put one offer is conditional upon the other being accepted. So they had to accept my BTB because I was giving them a better deal of taking everything off their plate. I got a $200,000 below what they were asking on top of a 12.7% BTB in second position. Um, they gave me the terms that I wanted. So 
It is basically understanding where the sellers are coming from and that, and there's no secret thoughts. It just, it's a relationship game and building it with that seller. Yeah, that totally makes sense. A lot of people are afraid to ask. A lot of people are afraid to present those type of thoughts because they're, it's like, you feel like you might kill the deal, but that's not, that's not the case, right? You're offering someone a solution to a problem that they had. So that's, that's a perfect way that you explained it. Yeah. No, the only thing I was going to bring up is why go the VTB route instead of just securing private funds? Like it's essentially the same thing, right? It is um, 100%. But if I were to raise private funds on my own, I'd rather use that money on another deal, mm. right? So you can maximize your returns. So if I'm already getting a seller to secure a mortgage against the property, and I also have another individual to secure a mortgage against the property um, on the same one, but I'd rather just secure it against another property and use it to fund more properties or more renovation. So it's just maximizing the money you can because getting a VTB and getting a seller to be able to be in a position to lend money on a property is very minimal because there's not many sellers out there. So when you do yeah. get a VTB, you want to optimize that as, uh, to the best of your ability. Private money, there's always money coming around. Um, and I like to secure money against the non-subject property. So once I refinance it, I'll secure private money against the asset because now I'm not touching the asset and then now it's at 100% loan to value. Yes, it is risky. You have to do your due diligence and you need to make sure you're buying the right asset because if a market were to take a dip, like your asset was going to be above water. So you need to make sure that uh, you are buy buying the right asset with the money that you're securing. Yeah. But you're saying you're, you're securing it against an asset that's already been refinanced, right? Instead of securing it on the asset that you're currently buying. Cause that yeah. way, then when you refinance the asset that you're currently buying, you can still use those funds to go and buy another asset without having to redo the private. So, okay. That was, there's a lot of good nuggets in that episode, my year. And I think um, a lot of our guests would definitely get some good value out of it. Um, we're running out of time. So I kind of have to ask you these three questions <laughs> that we generally ask our guests okay. at the end of a podcast. Um, so what's your goal for the next five years? And let's talk about like from a real estate or business uh, perspective, like what, what do you want to get to? I really want to get into development, definitely perfect bill rentals. Uh, perfect build rentals are definitely a more superior asset class uh, than apartment buildings. Sorry, let me repeat that. Purpose built townhouse rentals because there's no common area maintenance expenses. Um, every tenant pays their own um, utilities. The, the landlord is only paying for property management if they have any um, property taxes, property insurance, and maybe landscaping and snow removals. It's a very minimal, low operating expenses. Definitely want to build the right system to make real estate a passive income. I want to be able to travel as much as I can and um, so forth. So that's basically what I want to do in five years. And hopefully I can uh, just enjoy what I have. That's awesome, man. Uh, second question here is if you want $10 million and you had seven days to spend it, how would you spend it? Uh, number one, I'll definitely give back to the community. Definitely a few community organizations that really want to um, be able to have the luxury to provide some sort of contribution. Um, right now, um, I do want to give a percentage of my passive income on a monthly basis to, uh, to support a lot of those communities. So, but I need to get my assets stabilized. So I do hope I get to that stage within the next year. Um, number one, buy, I really want to buy a boat. That's, uh, that's my <laughs> one thing. Um, I really want to buy You a went boat. from a car to a boat. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Like that's what I really want to do. I see the guys in Windsor doing it all the time. I'm trying, I just want to do the same thing in Lake Ontario. Um, buy buy cars and travel. That's essentially what I will do and definitely want to help my parents um, be able to retire, my siblings, as well as my extended family. So uh, that's essentially what I'll do with the $10 million. Okay. That's dope, man. If you could have dinner with any person dead or alive, who would you choose and why? I would do Kobe Bryant. 
definitely a big basketball fan. Um, I'm always a LeBron James fan growing up. Kobe Bryant was definitely my favorite, but I kind of missed his era when he was a prime in his career. But the things that he's been able to do on and off to the court as a venture capitalist, his business, his endorsements, and um, as well as his, his just the way he, he lived his daily life and his mindset, the mama mentality, he woke up every day and he just contributed to what he loved to do. So and I think that's very important in real estate. Um, you got to find that motivation and that inspiration to wake up every day and give it your 100%. So, uh, so I definitely want to meet uh, Kobe Bryant. All right. That's, uh, that's a very interesting answer. I'm not surprised though. Um, this, that's the first time we actually heard Kobe. A lot of good reasons you threw there. Um, this episode was, was quite phenomenal. Um, Iron really appreciate you sharing all of those golden nuggets, starting to get our audience to start thinking bigger and being more creative with their deals. Cause that's the big thing that we get is like, we don't have a lot of money. How do we get started in real estate? And for a lot of the time, you didn't have a lot of money you were still able to scale to 20 units, right? Even without a lot of money. And I'm sure even now, like money goes in and out at all times, but you still make deals happen. So that's phenomenal. Um, if people want to reach out to you, connect with you, how could they do so? Uh, Instagram is definitely the best way. Um, Instagram is Myron C, M-Y-U-R-E-N-C, uh, quite active as well as Facebook as well. Um, I'm definitely on the, the Rise Network Facebook group all the time. And definitely looking to see a lot of you guys on the, the live events where we have a lot of guests on. Definitely an amazing event for uh, that Austin and Mayu provide uh, unlimited free resources. So um, definitely be part of that. And uh, we're definitely going to have more uh, amazing events coming soon. Yeah, looking forward to the next uh, lab Q&A you got there. I mean, the, the last couple ones you've been ho- uh, you've hosted got tons of great feedback on. Anyways. If you guys like this podcast, make sure to share it, support it, review it, do whatever you can to get it out there. Helps bring great guests like Myron on and helps bring great members like Myron on to help support the community as well. Until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.